I just have kind of uh, two questions to start off this morning. And one is, um, what is it like when you don't feel safe? What is it like when you don't feel safe? What do you do and what are you not able to do when you don't feel safe? And I think about um, instances where last year we had like this hornet nest uh, in the kind of siding of our house. And I mowed our lawn a ton of times, not knowing the hornet nest was there, and so I didn't, you know, I wasn't scared of anything. But once I knew it was there, every time I was going past that part of our house, it's like I was kind of watching it to see if these hornets going to come out and get me. And so I like couldn't feel safe. And when I uh, don't feel safe, um, I can't rest, I can't relax, I'm kind of like uptight and worried and like kind of watching my back, making sure, is this dangerous thing going to hurt me? Is something going to happen to me? And we have a hard time letting our guard down and we don't, you don't know if you're going to be okay. If you don't feel safe, you're, you're looking out for uh, the, the danger, whatever that danger is. You can't, you know, you just can't, you're not going to be laying back and just going, <sighs> like in your lazy boy or something. It's like you can't let your guard down, whether it's emotionally, whether it's physically or psychologically. And so that's, what is it like when you don't feel safe? Secondly is, what is it like when you do feel safe? What do you do? And what, what is your actions and behaviors? And I, I think one of the things we feel when, we're, when we feel safe is that we feel joy. Is that if you just feel safe, like I don't need to have my guard down, I can just be with these people or just be in this situation, um, we can experience joy. And if we don't feel safe, it's really impossible to uh, feel joy or nearly impossible. And maybe we just take the first you know, three fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace. If you feel safe with someone, you can experience love, joy, and peace between you and them. And we can let our guard down. You can be yourself. You're open to correction feedback and change. If you don't feel safe, you're not going to be able to do those things because you think that the feedback being given to you is putting a relationship in jeopardy, you're putting your job in, in, in jeopardy. Like There's a lot at stake, but if you feel safe, it's like, okay, I can be open to change and correction and feedback. And you feel accepted for who you are. You can let the real you be seen and you won't wear, need to wear, you know, we're wearing these masks, but you won't need to wear masks to cover up, you know, who you are. In the Bible, I think one way we can describe it that we saw in Genesis chapter 2 is that the man and the woman, when they were first created, were naked and not ashamed. There is this openness, there is this vulnerability. They could let the real self out and not hide. And today, as we continue this seven-week sermon series on relationships called Connected, um, we're looking at the, this first message of you are safe with me. And this is all about how to learn to connect with the people in our lives, the important people, or maybe the acquaintances, you know, friends, family, spouse, kids, coworkers, neighbors, anyone else in our life. And these, the last two weeks we've laid a foundation, and if you missed those sermons, uh, I wouldn't say that you're, you're not going to be confused today, but those two sermons did kind of lay a foundation for what we're talking about, and so I'd encourage you to go check those out on our website. And the first one we talked about, where does disconnection come from? in our relationships with people. And we saw that our horizontal disconnection with people is a result of our vertical disconnection with God. And then in the second message, we talked about how God is a God of connection. And Father, Son, and Spirit are connected. And then we are made in the image and likeness of this God. We are created to connect as well. We are made to be loved by God first, and then to love God and love like God as a response. And this week, as we begin the core of this series, the next four sermons are, as I said, uh, you are safe with me, you are 
love no matter what, you're called and capable, you're responsible for your actions. And as I said, this comes from an organization called Connected Families, and Katie and I took their uh, parenting course last fall, and we just loved every part of it, and it was super helpful in how we thought about parenting. Not only parenting, how we're thinking about all of our relationships. If I um, had a you know, conflict with a family member or something, it's like, okay, how do we communicate these four messages to this person, or how do we communicate these messages to these you know, neighbors or people we know? And so they've been super helpful in all relationships, and I'm we're using them with permission from them. And this whole series is all about how to connect with people in your life. So what I want you to do as we begin this, and I'll do this every week for the next four messages, is uh, what is a relationship in your life where you want to experience more connection? You can write it down or you can just have it in your head. But what's a relationship in your life where you want to experience more connection? Perhaps right now you're feeling disconnected in that relationship. Perhaps you feel like there's some distance and tension between you and that person. You can write down multiple people if you want. And maybe you just don't know what to do. It's kind of like, I don't know where this, I don't know how we got where we are. I don't know how to get out of it. And maybe you want to experience more connection. And you maybe have a relationship in your life that you've just given up on. Like this person, I've tried and tried and tried and tried again, but that's just where it's going to stay. And maybe you think, well, I don't have any relationships that are really difficult right now. Well, then apply what you're going to hear today to whoever it is you spend the most time with, because that's probably the person that you have the most opportunities to communicate these messages like, you are safe with me. And so just you know, take a moment to write that person down. What's a relationship that's really difficult for you right now? Or who do you spend the most time with? And have that person in mind as we go through this, this message today. Apply what you're hearing today to that relationship or those relationships. And we're focusing on this message, you are safe with me. If you want to build connection with a person or, or the people you thought of, you need to communicate the message. You are safe with me with your attitudes, with your actions, with your words. And this is important because uh, think about all the examples in nature. So a sea anemone, it's kind of a hard word to say, but I think I said it right, can either be open or closed. And when they're open, they're quite beautiful. They have this uh, beautiful colors to them. But if they don't feel safe, they close up and that beauty is hidden. And turtles hide in their shells. Other animals uh, run to their holes. Skunks spray. Peacocks make themselves look bigger and more threatening so that they can scare off the danger. Bumblebees sting if they feel cornered. Tigers will attack if cornered. And these are all survival tactics that we often call a fight-or-flight response, an attack or withdraw response. And we do the same thing as human beings when we don't feel safe. When we sense we aren't safe, our brains take us into a fight-or-flight response, an attack or withdrawal. So if you see a person as not safe, that whatever relationship you're thinking of, if you don't see them as safe, you're going to be in fight-or-flight mode, attack or withdraw. And when we're in that mode, we can't uh, connect with the person in front of us. And the first person that, who needs to hear the message, you are safe with me, is not that other person in your life, but you're the first one that needs to hear that message, you are safe from me, with me. We need to hear God saying that if we want to become people who are safe for others. Because the worst thing in the world is to feel unsafe with the God of the universe whom you can't avoid and from whom you can't hide. You cannot get away from him. He knows everything. He always knows where you are. He's always with you. So it's the worst person to feel unsafe with. And when we feel unsafe, we cover up, we hide, we blame. We saw that in the Garden of Eden. And you can't rest, you can't relax, you're uptight, you're watching your back, you can't let your guard down, you don't know if you're going to be okay, 
and you're looking out for danger. And if we feel unsafe with God, we will lack love, joy, and peace in our lives. And so the question is, are we safe with God? Does God tell us, does he speak to us this message, you are safe with me? And the answer is yes, all over the place. And the, me- the passage we're going to look at is Ephesians 1, 3-14. And we can't uh, go in depth, but we're, I'll give you the outline and the highlights of it. These 12 verses, Ephesians 1, 3-14, are praising God for the spiritual blessings given to us in Christ. And that's what verse 3 shows us. It's kind of like the headline uh, verse of the, of the um, passage. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So that's the first verse, verse 3. And then all the rest of the verses outline, okay, what are these spiritual blessings we've been given? What has God done to give these to us? And the first section is about God the Father. What has God the Father done? The second section is about God the Son. What has God the Son, Jesus, done? And the third section is about God the Holy Spirit. What has God the Holy Spirit done? And each section ends with the words, to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. So what has God the Father done? To the praise of his glory. What has God the Son done? To the praise of his glory. What has God the Holy Spirit done? Praise to his glory. The first section, verses 4 through 6, tell us that, uh, this is the summary of it, the Father has chosen us for adoption into his holy family. That's the message of verses 4 through 6. The Father has chosen us for adoption into his holy family. So verse 4, it says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. And last week we, talked, we asked the question, what was God doing before he created the world? And here we see that he was choosing people to be adopted into his holy family. Anyone who trusts in Jesus today as their Lord was first chosen by God. We did not first choose him, but he first chose us before the creation of the world. And he did it with an attitude of love. With an attitude of love, God chose us before the creation of the world to be adopted as sons and daughters into his family. And then we ask, well, how did he do that? And the verse says, through Jesus Christ. And we'll get more to how how he does it through Jesus Christ in the second section. But all this, Paul says at the end of verse 5, is in accordance with his pleasure and will. So the God of the universe, if you're trusting in Jesus today, planned your adoption into his family, and he took pleasure in doing so. Why did he do this? Paul says in verse 6, for the praise of his glorious grace. And grace is undeserved, unearned favor. This privilege of being part of God's family is freely given. It's not something that God is giving us as what we've earned or what our wages are. It's not deserved. It's not earned. And so God holds out this free gift to us. And this gift is packaged in the one he loves, it says, his son, Jesus. This is the free gift. If you want to receive it, receive Jesus. So the first section is about the Father choosing us for adoption into his holy family. The second section is in verses 7 through 12 focuses on how this is through Jesus Christ. And so let's begin in verse, the first sentence in verse 7. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. In scripture, redemption, that word, you can, if you want a simple definition, it means deliverance at a cost. Deliverance at a cost. 
And the word redemption was used in the slave market. If you were paying a, for a slave's freedom, that meant you were redeeming them. You were purchasing their freedom. You re- redeemed them. They experienced redemption. And another way to talk about our redemption is to say the forgiveness of sins. It says uh, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And because uh, forgiveness also has to do with freedom. When you uh, alone is forgiven, you're setting that person free from paying that debt back. A forgiven offense means you're free from making up for it. So we might ask, well, what cost was paid for our redemption? What cost was paid for our forgiveness? Paul says we have redemption or forgiveness through Jesus' blood, referring to Jesus' death. The cost of our freedom from sin was Jesus' life. Jesus gave his life so we wouldn't have to give ours. He took our penalty in our place. That's how we get free from slavery to sin. And why would he do this? Well, okay, that's kind of crazy. Why would he ever do this? What would motivate God to do such a thing? Paul says it was in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. It's pure grace. It's undeserved, unearned favor. And notice how God in the God the Father in the past chose us for adoption. And then in the present, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. God's eternal plan enters our lives when we see Jesus as the one who's paid for our sins and we trust in him and know we're forgiven. And verses 9 through 12, we're not going to go through all those, uh, but he basically explains how people putting their hope in Christ is the fulfillment of God's eternal plan. This is what God has planned all along. And we can ask, well, why has God done this? Why has he made this plan where we can be redeemed from slavery, forgiven, saved, enter his family? Verse 12 says, in order that we who are the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. God the Father chose us to be adopted through redemption in Christ. And why? It's for the praise of his glory. So God chose us for adoption, and Jesus paid the price for our adoption. In verses 13 and 14, we hear about the Holy Spirit's work to make our adoption through redemption from our sins a reality. Verses 13 and 14 say, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marched in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. In the ancient world, you would have seals made of stone or metal, and they'd have a special little inscription on them. And people would take that seal, and they would mark all of their most important possessions, And so we're told in this case that when we trust in Christ, God takes his seal and he marks us as his own special (coughs) treasured possession and it's a seal of ownership and we're marked with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what marks us as God's own. He sends his Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us so that we say, I know God is my Father and I know I'm his child. I belong to him. That's what that seal is. It's a mark of ownership that God owns us. We belong to him. The Holy Spirit is not only a seal, it says, but a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance of saying, uh, I'm giving you the first installment so you can know that you're going to get the future. You can, you can trust in that. And so whatever our present may be, whatever, how bad it is, the Holy Spirit is there to assure us that we have a glorious future ahead, living in the presence of God, free of sin forever. And the reality is we've run from God. We've avoided God. We've lived our lives apart from God. We've ignored him. We've rejected him and rebelled against him. And we've made a mess of our lives. But despite all this, 
God comes into our sinful mess and he says, this one is going to be mine. He adopts us. He pays for all the damage for our sin and he marks us as his own. This one belongs to me. This one is mine. And then we say, this father is mine. So we have this back and forth and God comes into our, our ditch that we've dug for ourselves. He picks us up, washes us of our sins, and he brings us back to his palace to live as royalty. That's the picture that scripture gives us, is that we were just dirty and dead and running from him, but then he comes up, I want this one to be my child, cleans us up, brings us back to his palace. And God the Father chose us to be adopted in his holy family through redemption in Christ, and he sealed us as his own with the Holy Spirit. And what we hear three times is the answer to why would he do that is to the praise of his glory. It isn't to the praise of our goodness, or our righteousness, or our performance, or our good behavior, or our obedience. It's the praise of his glorious grace. We don't get into a relationship with God on the basis of what we do, of how good we are, of how much we can show God, I'm really worth it, like I deserve this. That's not how we get into a relationship with God. It's based on his glorious grace. He gets all the credit. The only thing we contribute to our salvation is the need for it. We, all we bring into our, this relationship is our neediness, our need for forgiveness, our need for cleansing, our need for transformation. We bring our sin, and he deals with it, and our status of standing with God is that not based on what we do, but it's based on what he's done. It's based on his grace. And this is why we can hear from God, you are safe with me. Because the foundation on which this relationship is built is his grace, not our obedience, not our performance, not our goodness, not our righteousness. We haven't deserved it. We don't earn it. And so how can you unearn it or undeserve it if God says, I'm giving it to you, unearned and undeserved? And so that's the foundation of it. We're safe with God because the foundation is grace, undeserved, unearned favor. God did the choosing. God did the redeeming and forgiving. God did the sealing as his. None of that is us. We're safe with God because God is for us, not against us. And so consider for yourself, on whom do you think your relationship with God rests? And I don't mean what you know is the right answer. You know, we know know the Sunday school answer. Jesus, that's you know, that's what it rests on, or grace. But I mean, what do your actions and emotions show you really believe? How does do does the way you live you live, the way you uh, when you sin or mess up or fail, do you live as if my relationship with God isn't based on what I've done, it isn't based on my failures, it isn't based on my goodness, it isn't based on my sin. On whom does your salvation, your adoption, your forgiveness, your future rest? What's the foundation? If we live with a foundation of grace, when we sin, we don't need to be afraid of God. We can still know, even while we are sinning, even while we are disobeying, that we are safe with God because our relationship with Him is founded on grace. And later in chapter 2, verse 7, Heather read this passage for us. Paul says, God has saved you so that in the coming ages might show you the measurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So why will saving us put the immeasurable riches of his grace on display? Verse 8 says, because by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works that no one can boast. 
It isn't our doing. God gets the credit. And that's why our salvation puts the immeasurable riches of his grace on display because it's all grace. It's not God met us 90 and came 90 and we went 10 or we contributed half. You know, it's just God. It's all of grace. Romans 8.1 says, There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not There's no condemnation for those who do everything right. Not there's no condemnation for those who always behave. Not there's no condemnation for those who prove they're worthy. Not there's no condemnation for those who are perfect, who clean themselves up, who get their act together. No, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our status in standing before God is provided for us in Jesus Christ, not in our goodness, obedience, or performance. And that means our status in standing with God is independent of what we do, not dependent on it. In Christ, we are safe with God. And this is the most wonderful news in the world. God tells us, you are safe with me. We should be his enemies, and yet God says, you are safe with me. It means our relationship with him is not in jeopardy when we mess up. It means the stability and security of the relationship doesn't go up and down depending on what we do. And I have this little, here comes the mystery reveal. I've shared this before, but I found this really helpful. Um, is that my standing with God, whatever we want to put in here, fully loved, accepted, embraced, for me, not against me, this stays full. But we often live as, you know, this is my obedience, the level at which I'm obeying God and performing, doing a good job. And like maybe Monday, you know, that was kind of a, not a great day. Tuesday, really good, pretty bad Wednesday. Thursday, oh, I was okay. Friday went down a little bit. And then Saturday, whoa, I did really good that day. Or maybe this is Sunday. I went to a church service, you know, or I, you know, didn't fight with my spouse, or I didn't, you know, I called a friend and helped them. But even though our level of obedience performance goes up and down, this side does not go up and down based on it. That this would be, you know, God would, okay, that was your obedience that day. That's how much I'm going to love you. No. Fully loved, fully accepted, fully embraced, for me, not against me, no matter where my obedience or lack of sin or avoidance of bad things is. It's not based on that. That our relationship with God is defined and founded on grace means God isn't for us when we're behaving and against us when we're misbehaving. It means that in Christ, God is always and will forever be for us and not against us. It's a relationship based on grace. God favors us, not because we deserve it or earn it. God loves us and actually even likes us because that's who he is. And he's decided to. We're not the deciding factor. God is the deciding factor. So practically, what does this mean for your everyday life? Why does this matter? Well, you perhaps don't know, or maybe you've guessed that uh, the only people who are able to actually create change in your life are those with whom you feel safe. And there's a, a group of Christians that are uh, both kind of working with the Bible and uh, with brain science to help people uh, improve their relationships, to connect more with God and other people. And so some of what I'm about to say is basically every sentence in this could be like, oh, this is where I got this from, this is where I got this from, this is where I got this from, but um, I'm going to pr- actually write a list on our website of like resources for this series if you want to look into some of those. But know that this isn't like me just coming up with this. This is from other resources. And so our immediate reaction in relationships is uh, generated by the part of our brain in charge of creating our character. And character is what we do spontaneously, naturally, and automatically 
without thinking about it. And there's a different part of our brain that's responsible for our conscious thought. And so we might have an automatic reaction generated by the part of our brain in charge of uh, character to, say, somebody yelling at us. Somebody yells at us, and then our automatic, spontaneous reaction without thinking about it is, well, I'm going to yell back. And then we might have a moment where, with our conscious thought, we might kind of filter that reaction and be like, no, I shouldn't do that. And so we might be like, okay, they yelled at me. I want to yell back. And now in our conscious thought, we kind of like, uh, reflect on that. Is that what I should do? And maybe you know, in that moment we remember, okay, James 1, 19 through 20 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And so our first reaction from our character might re- be to respond with yelling, but then in our conscious thought, we recall James 1, 19 through 20, and we decide, take a deep breath, don't yell, be slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to hear. And here is why this is important. You might be like, what does all this brain stuff have to do with anything? And if we, it's important because if we want to get beyond just behavior modification and sin management, we need to change our character. And so imagine you're working in a pizza factory, and you're kind of like the person in charge of quality control, and you've got this machine that pumps out pizzas. And so the pizza gets pumped out, and it comes down the conveyor belt, and it comes to you, and then you check to make sure that pizza has been made correctly. And for some reason, the machine making the pizzas is putting olives on every single pizza. And your olives aren't supposed to be on every single pizza. Maybe you, you might be thinking, yeah, olives on every pizza. Some of you might be, that's not. Either way, there's not supposed to be an olive on every single pizza. And so it comes down the line, comes the beer, conveyor belt to you, and you're like, okay, how do I fix this problem? One solution to fixing this problem is that every single pizza that comes down the line, you pick the olives off. This one's not supposed to have olives. Pick that off. The other solution is to go to the machine and tweak the settings so that it doesn't put olives on every single pizza, but it puts the proper ingredients on every single pizza. pizza. So you, one solution is pick the olives off every single pizza that isn't supposed to have them for the rest of your time working there, which sounds exhausting. Or you can fix the machine responsible for putting the olives and the toppings on the pizza. And so how this applies to our behavior is that if we want our behavior to come out different in the first place, without thinking about it, rather than doing quality control on it with our conscious thought, we need to be changed in the part of our brain that's responsible for character. As one of these authors has said, if we want to change character, we must change character where it happens in the brain. And this is what will get us beyond behavior modification and sin management to feeling deeply transformed in, uh, on the inside. Rather than just changing what we're doing, we're actually changing who we are and what comes out in the first place. And so then the question is, well, who has access to those settings in our brain responsible for our character? This is why your safe with me is so important, because the part of your brain that creates our character can only be accessed by people who are safe to you. For everyone else, if they try to go enter that room, oh, I'm just going to change the settings on this person to change who they are. If they try to enter that room and they're not safe, all they get is a door that says, authorized personnel only, and it's locked. They can't get in. And so anybody you see is un- unsafe will come up. They aren't able to come in and change the, the settings on your character. Only people who have the access rights can do that. And the only people who have access rights are people with whom you feel safe. And so if you see someone as an enemy, 
The brain knows how to respond. You go into fight or flight response. You attack or you withdraw. You do what you've learned to do to keep yourself safe. You don't let them in. You put your guard up. You, you keep them out. And when you're in that state, you cannot grow or be changed. And so you can only be changed by people who communicate the message, you are safe with me by their words, by their actions, by their attitude. And so think about your relationship with God. If you don't see God as safe, then God does not have access rights to the part of your brain responsible for generating your character. As long as we don't see God as safe, we will only be practicing sin management and behavior modification. We'll just be doing quality control on our character the rest of our lives because what keeps coming out of us is I want to tell that person off. I want to yell at them. I'm feeling impatient. I just want this problem to go away. That's what will keep coming out and just be like, Oh, no, I know, I know I'm commanded to love them. I know I'm supposed to be patient. And now let me do quality control on what automatically came out of me. But what we'll actually have us experience deep transformation is getting our character changed from the inside out. And so isn't it amazing that God gives us exactly what we need? It's almost like he like created our brains or something and knows how they work. But he knows what our brains need is that we feel safe and then we will be Transformed In scripture, he tells us over and over again, the foundation of your relationship with me is grace. You are safe. As long as we think God is for us, not against us, we cannot experience deep transformational uh, change in our lives. And if we keep living like God is against us every time we sin or fall short or mess up or make a mistake, then we won't give God access rights to transform our character. And so our default formula, no, I don't have a pen, uh, marker is uh, that we tend to live by is who I am equals what I do plus what others think of me. Well, who I am equals what I do plus what others think of me. That's kind of our default way we live now. And we, we base our identity, our value, our worth, our uh, importance, our significance, our security, our belonging uh, on what we do and what others think. And that's an insecure foundation from which to live. And so think about those relationships you wrote down earlier. If you enter those relationships with this formula... There's a lot at stake. Your very identity is at stake. Your identity, if it's based on what you do, I need to do everything right. I can't mess this up. I need to, whatever I do has to work. If your identity is based on what you do, then whatever you do in that relationship is, is a lot at stake. And if it's based on what they think of you, do they approve of what I do? Do they like me? Do they accept me? Are they going to think what I did was right? Then that's what we're building the foundation of our life on, is putting enormous pressure on yourself and on other people. And neither one of you nor them were meant to bear the weight of telling you who you are. And we need to return back to the original formula that God gave us. Who you are equals what God has done for you and what God thinks of you. So who you are equals what God has done for you plus what God thinks of you. This is where safety comes from because God is a constant. It's secure and stable because uh, it's based on God's grace. We need to receive this safety from God before we can give it to others. We need to live from safety, not for safety. Okay, in order for me to be safe, I need to do this, this, and that. Or I need this person to think this, this, and this about me. And we're living for safety. Or I need God to think, you know, think well of me. So I need to do this, and he needs to think these things about me. Instead, we need to live from safety. Is that who you are equals what God has done for you plus what God thinks of you. And so often we go into enemy mode with people. And when we're in enemy mode, 
we're focused on problems and the pain more than the relationship. We're making the pain or the problem bigger than the relationship. And if you're doing this, you know you're in, you, you'll know you're in enemy, enemy mode when you're focused on the problem with this person or the pain they've caused, and you're not thinking relationally with them. You're seeing them as a threat, and so we're going to protect ourselves. We're going to either attack or withdraw. And relationship mode, if you're in relational mode, means you're making the relationship bigger than the problem or the pain. Enemy mode means we're against them because of the problem or pain they've caused. Relational mode means we're for them despite whatever problem or pain they may bring into our lives. And so how can we actually live this out in reality? I just want to give you three practical tools to be... uh, to communicate you are safe with me to others. And the first is a reflection. This is the key question to ask. What's going on in me? What's going on in me? So think about what does every single relationship you will ever have or have ever had have in common? And the answer is you. You've been in every single relationship you've ever had or you ever will have. And that means you carry your own personal story your wounds, your baggage, your sin and selfishness, and your unhealthy patterns of relating to others into every single relationship. And so, if you want to change every single relationship you'll have, one way to start is, let's start with the person who's in every single one of them, me, yourself. Because all those things mean that we will do hurtful things, we'll blow things out of proportion because they remind us of something hurtful from our past, we'll tend to look out for ourselves instead of them, And so we have a lot to work on. Whether the other person ever changes or not, we have a lot to work on ourselves. And Jesus said, uh, take the log out of your own eye that you may see better to take the speck out of the other person's eye. And in reality, the only person you actually have any control over is yourself. You can't control what the other person does. So the primary question for being safe for others is, what's going on in me? What is my attitude? Why am I reacting this way? Do I think my identity is at stake here? Am I putting too much pressure on what I do? Am I too concerned about what they think of me? The best way to be safe for someone is not to ask, how can I change them? But to ask, what's going on in me that needs to change? And so, for whatever that relationship was you thought about earlier, ask yourself, what's going on in me? If you want it to be different. Second, apologize. If you do something you shouldn't have done, apologize. If what's going on in you causes you to say or do something you shouldn't have, apologize. You'll say, I did blank. I shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? That's a good apology. You know, short and simple. This is what I did. I shouldn't have done that. It was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And humility is one of the primary traits of a safe person. And apologizing is one of the best ways to demonstrate humility. And for me, I'm a, I tend to be a perfectionist. When I'm not in a good place, kind of emotionally or spiritually, I'm a perfectionist. And so I expect a lot of myself. And so when I think about, for instance, parenting Hudson, I can put this enormous burden on myself to think, I need to do this perfectly all the time if I'm not going to mess him up and if we're going to have a good relationship. And I can just feel like this, this crushing weight about it because I want to reflect what God is like to him. I, wanna, I want him to not have to... Uh, you know, go through therapy to find out what God is really like because of how I parented him because I have such a poor image of what God is like to him. And so I want to reflect what God is like and it's like, I need to do this, I need to do this. And it's a big relief for me to acknowledge I can't actually be perfect. 
is that I can never do this perfectly. And the best thing that I can show him is that daddy sins, daddy messes up, and it's safe to go to God with that. The best gift I can give him is not me being a perfect parent all the time, but to show him that uh, God, is, uh, God is real, daddy is not God, and God is safe to go to when we mess up. And I'm going to go to him with you. And so, I mean, I apologize to Hudson often. I apologize to him yesterday for just getting angry and harsh and kind of uh, trying to move him along quicker than he was wanting to go. So I just say, buddy, that, I, you remember when dad did that? He was like, yeah. It's like, I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. And then, um, you know, he's so cute. He'll say, I forgive you and give me a big hug. And it's like, okay, let's, let's now pray to God. Let's ask God for forgiveness. Well, he, he messed up in that time too. So we both asked for forgiveness. And it's like showing him that there is a God and daddy is not God. And it's safe to go to him when we do bad things. And people who, admit, who won't admit they are wrong are unsafe people. And we need to remember, you're only human. Don't try to be more than human. Don't try to be God. You know, show your dependence on God. Don't try to be perfect. Don't expect to be perfect. Don't pretend you're perfect. And it's helpful for me to tell myself, I don't have to be perfect to be safe. Because humility allows us to go to God. And so for that relationship that you want to be different, ask yourself, what can I apologize for? The first is, what's going on in me? The second is, what can I apologize for? Lastly, practice keeping the relationship bigger than the problem or pain. Practice keeping the relationship bigger than the problem or pain. And I, I feel like uh, Kate and I have experienced quite a few painful things in the last year, and I've found this so helpful to determine whether I'm in enemy mode or relationship mode. Am I keeping the relationship bigger than the problem? And if you're in enemy mode, you will only be seeing the problem or the pain, and you won't be seeing the person and the relationship you have with them. You won't be looking for a relational solution to the problem or the pain. God loves his enemies, and that means us. And every time we see ourselves in enemy mode, focusing on the problem or the pain, we can, rec- we can have a moment to say, I'm going to now re- once again receive God's enemy love for me. God keeps the relationship bigger than the problem. He doesn't focus on our, pay, our, the, our problems and our pain, but God focuses on the relationship with us. You can be safe for others, not because they're safe for you, but because you are safe with God. And the goal here isn't to get, you know, I want to let them feel safety so I can have an influence and change them, because if that's all the only reason that you're wanting to be safe for them, then you're not going to be safe, because if your only motive is to change them and not to show them grace and love them and be for them, then that's going to be a problem. But what you've received from God, you can give to them as an act of love. This, the grace you've received from God is the grace you can give. And I really like something um, author Paul David Tripp says. He says that the people who give grace best are those who know how desperately, desperately they need it. And so if you're having a really hard time being for someone and not against them, it probably means I don't fully understand the grace God has given me. And so we go back to that. And so for that relationship you thought of to be different, ask, am I keeping the relationship bigger than the problem or pain? Am I keeping the relationship bigger than the problem or pain? Then how can I keep the relationship bigger than the problem or pain? Am I keeping it bigger than the problem or pain? How can I keep the relationship bigger than the problem or pain? When you think about Jesus when we were in the Gospel according to Luke, Jesus, one of the things he was called was a friend of sinners. He said, I'm not coming for the righteous or the healthy. I've come for the 
the sinners and the sick. And Jesus was called a friend of sinners because they felt safe around him. And Jesus, he wasn't following the formula, who I am equals what I do plus what others think of me. He already knew who he was. God had said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus is living from an identity of, this is what God has said is true of me. And so he could be safe for people. He doesn't have to be like, are you approving what I'm, what I'm saying? Are you listening to what I do? It's just he could be himself, the son of God, dearly loved. And we can do the same thing. He got his identity from God. And as people of the good news about Jesus Christ, we can first be safe with God, and then we can be safe for each other as we're giving that safety out to others. Then we can be safe for people who are sinners in our lives that maybe are far from God, but we can show them the safety that God has given us. It's like, I'm not against you. I'm for you. God's for me, and so I'm going to show that love out to other people. Let's pray. God, we have such a hard time not basing our standing with you on what we do. And so, God, would you let us receive the safety that you give to us, that you are for us, not against us. In the name of your Son who died for us that we pray. Amen.